0: Welcome back to Video Resourcing's podcast series. Uh, this is series two, episode five. And today we're going to be talking about some common myths uh, that, yes. <laughs> that exist within the IMG community about life in the UK. Uh, so with me as always is Daniel. Hello. Uh, and uh, we're going to first, I want to first talk about Dan, the biggest myth. And uh, <laughs> I'm from very far north from Scotland. Yeah. Uh, and there's a really mis- big misconception about the weather in the UK. Yes, there I, is. I think some people seem to think that Scotland is uh in in the uh arctic circle <laughs> with uh, common temperatures of minus 20
1: <laughs> and that uh, um uh, the south of England is like the french riviera. Yeah. Um sadly not. I I kind of do wish that was the case because we now live in Bristol which is in the south of England. Uh And it is currently raining outside. So, um, yeah, it it, it is something we hear all the time from international doctors that, oh, I'm not sure I want to look at that hospital. Uh, The weather wouldn't be very good in the north. The the weather wouldn't be very good in Scotland. Rest assured, the weather won't be very good wherever you are in this country. I'm sad to say um, it's not great. I I think the the thing with the
0: UK is it's a temperate um, climate. It it doesn't have extremes, which is the the, the one thing. So the winter is not going to be particularly cold in relation to uh, places in in Europe. Um, Mm -hmm. So quite common for big cities in in Germany, for example, Berlin, Mm -hmm. it might get down to minus 25 for a long period of time in the winter. Uh, but we don't really f- experience those extremes, neither in the UK, uh, not, neither in the winter nor in the summer. No, so don't expect yeah. it to be in the,
1: the high 30s in the summer for any prolonged period yeah. of time either. I think as well, just sort of have in your mind, if you were to travel an hour north or an hour south or maybe even two hours north or south of where you are now, mm-hmm. would the would the climate be that much different to where you are right now in the world? And I think that's the reality. The UK is a very small country um, and you're never really more than, you know, you could be in uh, from Bristol into Glasgow in an hour on a plane uh you know it's only a, a couple of hours or sorry probably yeah. a few more hours than that driving but um, in reality the the temperature difference might be one or two degrees um it's really yeah not that i mean we, we don't uh, as
0: i said we, we don't really experience extremes of weather it might snow one day a year yeah and, and, that, and that's yeah. it <laughs> so uh, so yeah so that is a really really big uh Big myth, I don't know where it originated. From. Yeah, I don't know,
1: I don't know, but certainly if someone um, starts talking to you about a job in the north of England, don't be thinking that that's going to mean you're no. you know, you need to get your Eskimo boots on and uh, you know, trudge to work through feet of snow every day and things like that. Yeah. It's just not the case, uh, but uh, rest assured, it will be rainy everywhere. Right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, if you're coming for the balmy temperatures and the Mediterranean heat, you are coming to the wrong place. <laughs> Um, the second one uh, that we get all the time is, I guess, more of a family related one. And that's for um, schools for children um, of, of doctors that come into the UK. Now, there's loads of different uh, kind of names of schools in this country and it, it can be quite confusing. So public schools are usually actually private schools and then state schools are the schools that are run by the government and that kind of and, thing unless There's you're in also, scotland uh, so in scotland yeah a private school is a private school a yeah. public school is a public school. yes uh to add to the confusion um there used to be quite a, a lot of what's called grammar schools which were schools um we had to take a test to be able to get into those they are less um prevalent now and a lot of the old grammar schools became uh public or private, depending on which term you use, uh, schools. I believe you went to grammar school. I did go know? to grammar and, school, uh, yeah. You went to good university and you end up becoming a recruitment consultant. Yeah, yeah. It so just so goes to the show. It does go to show. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't always work out. <laughs> um, but yeah, the I guess the, the thing to note here, um, most important things to look for when it comes to schools, uh, probably the Ofsted inspections are the best thing. So there's um, a, an independent regulator who Uh, checks in with schools um, I think it's once every three or four years uh, and gives them a kind of ranking a scoring now again keep in mind that because a a hospital a a school um, maybe requires improvement or scores good rather than outstanding just look into that and take it with a pinch of salt because actually it might be that it's um, it, it is vastly improving at the time it just requires that improvement so Don't always take it as as gospel that, you know, good school or bad school or whatever. And keep in mind that every single school um in our country uh follows the national curriculum so your children will be taught the same things irrespective of the school or pretty much the same things irrespective of the school that they go to so there is a kind of standardized just with the public health system in the uk the public education system is is fairly standardized the same exams are going to be sat you're going to be preparing for the same sats and then gcses and then a levels and that kind of what what about religious education dan in the uk Yeah, so there are faith schools in the UK, Mm. in some of the bigger cities and that kind of thing. But again, keep in mind that probably the demographic of the area that you're moving to. So you're probably not going to find faith schools in some of the um, more remote parts of the country. Um, And where you do find those uh, in the more um, culturally diverse and more densely populated cities, for example not all children of faith go to faith schools it can be that you've got um, I'm trying to think of a good example but certainly uh, you've you've got state schools which are vastly populated by um, minority uh, children so you know it doesn't necessarily count that you need to go to a faith school to, um, to receive an education of faith you know every school is uh, is very inclusive in this country yeah um, and I think that's it
0: I mean I think the, the, the big thing obviously when I was at school which was a long time ago um, there, there wasn't any um, real um, there, there was a religious education classes mm. but it covered all faiths yes that's right uh, and certainly it, it, it wasn't kind of pushing one faith as opposed no. to the other or anything like that so it's, it's all, and it, again it's an optional thing yeah. uh, more yeah. more than anything else um yeah so i think the most important thing is of course is that the actual academic uh,
1: curriculum and criteria yeah. is the same yeah, yeah um state-run grammar schools just as a note on that uh exist in very few parts of the country at the moment ryan mentioned that i went to one in lincolnshire which is one of the few counties that still have state-run grammar schools the vast majority either went private um or were disbanded so they became normal schools so again you can look to finding grammar schools but you'd probably be uh, restricting yourself massively, um, and actually the the uh, the curriculum that was followed at my school, at grammar school, would be exactly the same curriculum that was followed at Ryan's um, state school you know, years before. Yeah. Um, okay. So what about?
0: Um, I, I guess cost of living's big thing, isn't it? And mm. I think it, it's a bit of a well, I would say it's a myth, but there mm. is some truth in it as well that um, the. The north of England or north of the UK is less expensive to live, and to um, and I guess the vast majority of costs in living Mm. in the UK is to do with housing, uh, as opposed to the south. Now, I've lived in Manchester and I lived in London. Mm. Currently living in Bristol, Mm. Uh, there is um, obviously again just because of population demand. Uh, the, the I mean population of London, for example, I think it's six point eight million currently. Yeah. And uh, given that that is the more than the entire population of Scotland, <laughs> the demand on housing stock, etc., supply demand is going to push the prices up. Yeah. It, it, it London Central London is very expensive. Yeah. Uh, to live, particularly if you're coming with a family, I think you could quite easily survive in Central London uh, on a, a good doctor's salary mm. if you're on your own. But I think it becomes very expensive if you, if you come with a large family.
1: Yeah, I, I think that the myth around this bit is less the kind of north-south thing. And it's a bit more... Um, it's, I think it's it's maybe more city versus rural. And I know we were going to treat this one separately. We were going to talk about this one separately. But just in terms of the house prices and things like that, big cities are expensive to live in. And the more central you want to be in one of those big cities, the more expensive it's going to be. So if you want to be right in the middle of a big city, mm. then expect that to be really, really expensive. But keep in mind, and here's definitely part of the myth, the vast majority of people in this country don't live right in the middle of big yeah. cities. They live outside of big cities and they travel into them to use the amenities well, to use... The, that, that, that's a really yeah. good point, actually,
0: Dan, because me and you both work in Bristol on a daily yeah. basis but we actually live probably About 10 miles, 10 right? miles away yeah, and yeah. I cycle in every day every every single morning I cycle in it takes me 40 minutes yeah. on, my, on my bike Dan gets the bus in every day so um, and, and that's the reason why we don't drive it's just because parking is a nightmare
1: yeah Yeah, very expensive to park your car. Um, You know, public transport is very accessible in this country. And obviously, if you cycle like Ryan and you're you're healthy and fit, then you usually um, find yourself in a position where you can live just outside of cities and benefit from vastly cheaper property prices, lettings prices, all that kind of thing. Um, The other things around the cost of living, I think... It, it really does just come down to the accommodation prices because the cost of your your gas and electricity, the cost of your water, um, the cost of your broadband, your mobile telephone, they are all identical. I, I think I can't really think yeah, that there's any difference in any of those. Variation. Um, so you know, all the other bits, maybe council tax might be the only one. But again, that just depends on the value of your property. And of course, that's that may be more expensive. But um yeah, generally speaking, the, the myth there, I think is certainly that there is a north-south divide. Um I think it's actually that London is a bubble in itself and is certainly an expensive part of the country. And then outside of London, I think it's more down to if you're in the middle of a big city so again you know your bristols and birmingham's and manchester's and leeds and places like that if you want to live in the middle of one of those big cities which very few people do then it is going to be expensive if you're happy to live a little bit further out and travel then you know it's not that expensive
0: i think the other other thing as well uh, there seems to be a misconception about uh, I need to wo- I need to work and live in a big mm-hmm. city because of all the things that a big city brings. But because again the UK is so small, yeah. that it, I mean, if, it, when you do have time off, and I know lots of doctors that we've helped com- come to the UK do this, is just get a train, go, go and visit London for the day, go and visit <laughs> yeah. Ma- Manchester yeah, yeah. or whatever. Um, it's not far. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think we're quite lucky in this country that actually it's a small island. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when I go home to visit my family in Scotland, I, I go to Bristol Airport and I fly, and it takes me fifty minutes to get up to Glasgow or
1: Edinburgh. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. It's the same. I mean, we, we used to live in London, and I know you used to live kind of north of London, and I was east of London. We were traveling to work, and it would take about an hour to travel into work. But you know, just because I didn't live next door to Big Ben, it didn't mean I didn't get to benefit from all the things of, that you'd get in central London. Equally, I could have been in Manchester or Birmingham within an hour and a half, two hours. And the train lines are becoming even better, actually. The route from Bristol to London, uh, I think, is coming down to being less than an hour. Um, and it was two hours a, a few years ago. So, you know, it, it, you're not far away from, from big cities. Uh, so you know, don't worry too much about... I think we're probably talking more about that city versus rural Mm. um, argument here. And again, people think of rural, but actually, if if there's a major hospital, an acute hospital in a, whether you want to call it a town or a city or whatever, it's probably going to be a pretty big place. Actually, a really good example of that is Manchester, because actually Manchester's
0: city centre is actually pretty small. Yeah, I think the population yeah. of Manchester City Centre is about half a million. Mm. I, I was really surprised when I lived there. Yeah. But Greater Manchester it's huge, is, is yeah. it's, it's about maybe 16, 18 million people in the Greater Manchester area. But all of the big hospitals in Manchester, there was only two.
1: Right in the centre. Right in centre. centre. Yeah. Yeah, all
0: yeah. the other hospitals are, are made up of that Greater Manchester area, which yeah. uh, things like Tameside, for example, or uh, Penning Acute, or North yeah, Manchester yeah, Trust, or yeah, yeah. Salfords. Um, so... But with doctors who focus on wanting to work in Manchester in that particular city, you've got one option, and it's going to be really, really oversubscribed as well. So, mm. um, I think again that comes down to if you ask me about any other country in the world, uh, I'd probably be able to name the capital city and a couple of others, maybe. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But it's because, but if I'm moving to a new country, I'm going to do my research into it and and the, the all, all the potential options that are there, rather than focusing on London, Manchester,
1: Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. The the next one in the kind of myths uh, is this thing about commuting and people living at hospitals. And I think a lot of the countries that um, traditionally we recruit from or people relocate to the UK from to be doctors, they may be used to working in huge private hospitals where there are kind of compounds for families to live in and masses of hospital accommodation where families can be supported and all that kind of thing. And everything is in one enormous site um that's just not the case in the uk um hospitals don't have that we mentioned it in a previous podcast that most of the um hospital accommodations generally has been sold off to private providers either being turned into flats and things like that or it's now run by private providers who split it off into kind of single occupancy rooms and things like that so you tend to find that those bits of accommodation are for Either people who are working on call shifts overnight and things like that. So they've got somewhere to stay that's near to the hospital Um, or they're for people who are just arriving short term, that kind of thing. But we did a bit of research into the um, average commute times in the UK. Um, I think the average commute was about 50 minutes, 55 minutes or something like that for people. So that gives you an idea of it might not be the kind of lifestyle you want, but it's just a reality here that... Most people come to work. I don't think a single person in our office travels in using a car, which seems quite unusual to to some people. But actually, if you you want to spend your life working and being in a big city, you have to accept the fact and expect to travel for probably an hour of your day each way, um, either walking, cycling or using public transport. And public transport in this country is very, very good. The commuter links are brilliant because... As Ryan mentioned earlier on, there's just not enough houses for people to live in city centres. So, you know, there's a lot more smaller towns surrounding big cities where people can access trains, access buses, um, travel by, by cycling, as Ryan does. Um, or there's things like park and rides where you can drive your car to the edge of a city and then take a bus for the last kind of mile or two. Which tends to be quite cheap options. And I think,
0: again, that opens up. Uh, again, if, you, if you're bringing your family with you, um, I mean, do you really want your kids being brought up in um, you know, kind of urban centres, you know what I mean? Yeah. In big cities? Because yeah. you're going to limit your, your opportunities in terms of schools as well. Mm. Um, so I think that, uh, I mean, depending on the lifestyle that you want, but for me, if I had a, a young family, or I, I would probably want to be in the outskirts of a city where yeah. there's good schools in that area and it's nice and quiet and safer, to be honest, than, mm. than maybe living in a big city centre. But that's just my kind of prefer, preference. Like. Yeah,
1: I'm with you. But yeah, I suppose that's one for everyone to everyone to make. Um, there, some people talk about crime rates and things like that in, um, in the UK and where's best to live and that kind of thing. And again, I, I think that obviously it's an important factor. Of course it is. But it's one that's got to be considered with... A bit of a pinch of salt, I think, because you could look at the crime rates for, say, London, which are probably, I mean, I'm i am just speculating here, but probably some of the highest. And on paper, there's always going to be crime in a city that's got 10 million people or 12 million people living there. Of course there is. But it's about choosing the better areas for you that, that are going to be more perhaps family orientated or oriented towards more young professionals and that kind of thing. So there's always good and bad parts of every town and every city. Yeah. And it's just a case of picking. I mean, I,
0: I, I guess I've been quite lucky. I mean, throughout all my life living in the UK, I, I don't think I've ever been a victim of crime. Uh, yeah. So the UK is actually a very, very, a very safe, safe con- country okay. to, to live in. Of course, there are, there are um, again, incidents about as you get anywhere in the world, but yeah. certainly it's pretty well pleased. It's, pretty
1: safe yeah I think using those general crime statistics can be a little bit misleading sometimes looking at a whole city for example and using the crime statistics for a whole city to judge each individual area of that city would be a little bit that's where the myth comes into that I think Um, the other one uh, what about the people Ryan I've heard that people are friendlier when they're from the north no absolutely not in my my
0: experience (laughs) Um, I don't know, really. I mean, as I said, I've I've lived um, in Scotland, in the north of England and the south of England. And I think people are are pretty nice everywhere you go, really. I mean, again, in in all walks of life, you get different people, don't you? But I I don't think there's any. I'd probably say the only thing, when I lived in London, um, I like to think that I'm fairly relaxed. Uh, I found the kind of day-to-day busyness of it used to stress me out. So maybe people in central London are fairly mo- a bit more stressed. But- yeah,
1: it's this thing of no one talks to each other on the yeah. tube, whereas maybe when you get a bus in Bristol, people stop and say hello to mm-hmm. you and things like that. But um, yeah, I think that's a that's definitely a myth. People are either equally as friendly or equally as unfriendly i think it more depends on the person than it does the uh, the place i think another one that
0: i've heard quite a lot is that
1: people may maybe don't want to go to
0: wales or scotland because of the accents um and mm. again so that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, again because the every area in the uk has a regional accent um so i think that's something to consider as well that i mean uh, if but most of the time, people do speak English. Yeah. I would say, I don't, I don't think that there's, um if you're in in I mean deepest darkest Wales of Scotland, that uh, mm. it's going to be much different. To be honest, yeah. And,
1: I mean, I'm from the north of England, and you're from Scotland. And I think if you're still listening to this podcast in the final episode, yeah. you're probably going to be okay with the accents wherever they're from. So. <laughs> Um, final one, I think was probably university hospitals and district general hospitals. And I know we touched on this one, uh, in another episode of the podcast series. Um, university hospital in this country means that there is an undergraduate medical school attached to it. Uh, it doesn't mean that you will only receive training in a university hospital, district general hospitals. They do tend to be uh slightly smaller hospitals. They've not got a medical school attached to them, an undergraduate medical school attached to them but they do still have training elements. Um, There are still amazing doctors working in those. There are still trainees working in those. There are still educational supervisors um, that work in those hospitals. We gave the example in the other podcast series, and I think it's a really good one of of the city that we're based in, in Bristol. Um, University Hospitals of Bristol uh, is a big teaching hospital. Southmead Hospital, which is North Bristol Trust, is equally an enormous hospital really modern site with amazing facilities facility-wise i think the two are, are very equally matched um you know some departments are obviously going to have more than others and things like that and often some of the more specialist centers are at the smaller hospitals um if you look at the the specialist cancer units for example they're not necessarily um teaching hospitals they are small specialist hospitals classed as district generals but you wouldn't necessarily rule them out on that basis. So it's definitely a misconception that university means good means teaching means big and district general means no teaching, no university, small, no training, just not the case. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if you've got anything to add on that one, Ryan.
0: <laughs> uh, no, 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 no we, we kind of labour that point, because it probably is one of the biggest questions or, that, that we get asked, yeah. uh, or, or certainly one of the preconceptions that a lot of doctors have. And um, again, one kind of final one for me really is that uh, that have been asked quite a lot is, is ex-hospital IMG friendly? Uh, and I think that the, the, the reality with this is that if you've done an interview with an NHS trust and they have offered you a position, of course they've got to be IMG friendly because Mm. they need doctors and they want doctors to succeed. No NHS trust is going to employ somebody on the basis that they want them to fail. I think where um, things can get a little bit difficult sometimes if it's a really seriously understaffed department Uh, But again, that is uh, just because, not because they're not IMG friendly, it may be that just there aren't enough people in that department to give the proper support uh, to doctors. But again, I think that really you have to do your own research into that particular department within that hospital before you formally accept that offer. Um, So I think that's just about, uh, again, making sure that you, you don't just take the first thing that's offered to you without doing any research. Um, But it's nothing to do with whether someone's IMG-friendly or not. It's just really down to...
1: I think it's fair to say that the NHS is IMG-friendly. I mean, just by virtue of the fact that the GMC has... I think it's thirty percent of uh, yeah. registrants are, are, are IMGs. It, it, and, exactly, all you know, NHS trusts
0: are multicultural. Yeah. I mean, represented by great medical professionals from all over the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and without without them, the NHS just couldn't run. So um, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Good. Okay. Well, hopefully that's um, busted a few myths that there are out there. Um, if you can think of any others, please do um, email them into us or connect with us on social media and send them in to us. We're always interested to hear um, your thoughts and opinions. Yeah. And if there's any topics as well, I think, for uh, yeah. the, the next series. Series three, yes, absolutely the, but... the difficult third series. Mm. Um, hopefully we'll, we shall return recommissioned. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, but send them in. But... Uh, as always thanks again for listening Uh, we're signing off now uh, to get on with the real jobs Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so uh, look forward to speaking to you and hearing from you soon speak to you soon take care bye. Bye bye bye